We're at the halfway point of January, and it's a good time to ask yourself, where are you at with your 2018 goals? Have you fallen off track and procrastinated? Has the fear of failure or rejection kept you stuck in that soul-sucking job or in a toxic relationship? Are you so busy taking care of everyone else that you're not making time for your dreams? Where could your life be 90 days from now if you had daily access to expert mentorship plus a tribe of like-minded people who lifted you up and supported you as you worked toward your dreams? I have a limited number of spaces available for massive action takers who are ready to step up and make 2018 the year they live life amplified. You can sign up for my brand new group coaching program right now at my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. Just click the gray bar across the top, fill out the application, and someone from my team will contact you soon. Details now at creativesoulcoaching.net. And now, episode 10. How to Rediscover Your Purpose for a New Chapter in Your Life with two-time X Games Gold Medalist, Jen Hudak. My name is Dan Mason. In 2012, I was overweight, getting divorced, battling depression, and feeling trapped in a career where I was successful but bored and unfulfilled. And it's actually the greatest gift I've ever been given. I used my pain as a springboard to discover my life's purpose. Now, I want to share the same tools and strategies which help transform my life with you so you can live Life Amplified. Imagine achieving every one of your major life goals by the age of 23, only to suffer a series of setbacks and losses that left you reeling and having to rediscover your purpose before the age of 30. That's what happened to our guest today. Jen Hudak is one of the most decorated female skiers in American history, a two-time X Games gold medalist, a two-time world champion, a four-time national champion, an ESPY award nominee, and one of the pioneers of women's half-pipe skiing. And these days, you can find Jen competing on your TV every Wednesday night on the CBS hit reality game show, The Amazing Race. During our recent interview, we covered a variety of topics, including how her background as a competitive skier made her a better competitor on The Amazing Race, how to navigate a major career transition, how to bounce back from any setback, what one thing really defines a person's value, what to do when you reach your biggest goals and still feel empty. What she learned about life by experiencing the death of her father. And how not competing in the Olympics was one of the biggest secret blessings of her life. This is such a beautiful interview with so much vulnerability. I admire her so much for just really opening up and let us feel who she is. And if you are loving this interview today, make sure to let Jen and I know you're listening. You can screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram, and be sure to tag us both. You can find me at CSC Dan Mason, and you can find her at Jen Hudak, H-U-D-A-K. So let's dive right in and get to know X Games World Champion and Amazing Race competitor, Jen Hudak. Jen Hudak, what's going on, my friend? Oh, just enjoying a cup of coffee in my new mountain abode, so no complaints. And I guess I should start out today congratulating you. Now, on the day we're taping this, there are only two episodes that have aired of The Amazing Race, so you're the only person who knows for sure exactly how the season's <laughs> going to play out, but you've been kicking ass in the first two weeks, you and your partner, Christy, so that's got to be cool. <laughs> Thank you. It's really fun. The race itself was such a whirlwind and, you know, ends so abruptly 
and then you're thrust back into your normal life and you don't hear anything from production for months and then you get to relive everything on TV and it's really fun to kind of to see I mean even some of the details of how we performed that you kind of forget about and then also just the other teams to see what they went through in each leg because there's a lot that you don't see you kind of assume there's interaction between some of the teams but when we're on the race course we're so in our own zone so it's really interesting to kind of see all the layers unfolding for you coming from this amazing accomplished decorated athletic background two-time world champion in women's skiing x games gold medalist to some extent does that give you a leg up in an environment like this just in terms of being able to focus or coming from a competition background so it's definitely a good background to have but this particular season there were a lot of people that had highly competitive backgrounds and are good under pressure even from you know people like the firefighters who might be in a normal season your average joe twins but they have this they're i mean emts and they're used to being in dangerous situations and saving lives and miami beach lifeguards like Brittany and lucas have saved 1500 lives so wow. Christy and I, you know, our background certainly helped us. We're, we're pretty well traveled. So we're used to dealing with jet lag and having to go, you know, straight from a, a flight into a competition. We're, we're used to that kind of thing. So I think that that's certainly helpful. And then we're both pretty smart and come from pretty academic families. So that's something that people might not necessarily assume right off the bat when they see us and interact with us. But it's something that starts to unfold Yeah, you mentioned earlier uh, an interesting concept just of, you know, throwing yourself into this competition and you're traveling all over the world and it's different time zones and different countries. And now you're back getting adjusted to, I guess, civilian life. But that's been a big constant. I feel like that's been something that has been a process for you in general in the time that you and I have gotten to know each other. Talk to me about that because so many clients who come to me are waiting until their 40s, maybe pushing 50 before they're doing the things that they really love in life. You know, just doing the jobs that made their parents proud or that a teacher told them they should do. And you've lived this incredible life where you started skiing professionally at what age? Were you like 17? Yeah, I was 17 when I went pro. I signed a a paying contract with the sponsor when I was 17 years old. And over the next decade, I mean, that took you everywhere. It did. I would say the first two or three years of my ski career, I had to work a job in the summer, which is kind of varied. I was a cashier at Whole Foods for a while. And then I worked in a jewelry store. Then I waited tables and did what I could in the summer, things that didn't involve like a major commitment so that I would be free to to ski and travel in the winter. But that was only the first few years to, to supplement because I mean, even signing a decent paying contract, the cost that comes with flying around the world to go ski is huge. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that, especially in free skiing, being such a fringe sport and it didn't have national team backing, we were paying our own way everywhere. Wow. Our sponsors weren't paying for it and they would pay us directly. And then it was up to us how we manage those funds and determine what trips we're going to go on and what contests we're going to attend. So that money goes really fast. After that, I mean, I was able to kind of have skiing be my my main gig for probably about seven or eight years of my career, which was incredible. But as you mentioned, transitions in and out of that world had always been a part of it. Even back in, in high school, I went to a ski academy starting my sophomore year of high 
high school. So I would have my group of friends in Connecticut at my my normal public school. And then I would have my group of ski friends and I'd transition into that world for the winter. And then I'd transition back to my high school for spring. So it was like soccer season, ski season, lacrosse season, and then summertime, which involved camps for all of those sports. Yeah. <laughs> my life revolved sports a little bit. <laughs> Coming out of my ski career, that was a really challenging transition. And it was funny, the amazing race, going on that whole month-long whirlwind and then returning to quote-unquote civilian life was another transition. And I, I was a little bit more prepared for it because I went through it with skiing and I knew that it was going to be a little tough. But yeah, transitions are hard. And I think that it's part of what holds people back from taking that next step into living the life that they really want. What did you believe about your life's purpose when you were traveling the world and this decorated athlete? And what did you believe about your purpose when the day came when your body just told you enough and I can't compete at that high level anymore? Because that's got to be, I mean, it, like 29 years old to retire from something you've dedicated your entire life to at that point, yeah. that can't be easy. No, it was not easy. It was extremely disorienting. Becoming a pro at 17 years old, and I mean, our 20s are such formative years of our lives. And so my whole identity was built around this sport, not only doing the sport and being good at the sport, but breaking glass ceilings, being an advocate for women, setting an example for young girls to follow that they can do these unbelievable things that, you know, aren't traditionally what girls are supposed to do. That was gave me a lot of purpose in my life. Just being that example of someone who could strive for their goals, create this life that they've always wanted. And so walk away from that. It's like, I didn't feel like I could talk about that anymore. Like it was no longer my right to say, here's how you can go and live your dreams because I abandoned what it felt like at the time. I abandoned my dreams. I achieved most of the things that were on my bucket list. I'm a two-time X Games gold medalist and a two-time world champion. I've won just about every event there is for free skiing, but I never made it to the Olympics. And when I set out, that was my main goal. When I started, the Olympics didn't even have a ski half pipe event. And I was on the so, so early in the sport that I was participating at the, the first ever junior world championships in 2002 in Newfoundland, Canada. And then the first World Cup event for ski halfpipe in 2003 in Sauce Bay, Switzerland. But we didn't have an Olympics. And 2010 was my best competitive year. I won almost every event that year except for one in which I got second. And I felt like, you know, that was an Olympic year and our sport had been in the Olympics. Then I likely would be not only an Olympian, but an Olympic medalist, but the timing just didn't play out that way. So I didn't know what my purpose was or what my role was for a while. I felt like I just, I didn't have the platform to stand on because I didn't actually achieve all of my goals. So the amazing race was a really cool experience for me in this whole process of understanding and really knowing my purpose, Christy and I both share in the mission in our sport of pioneering it for women and showing women that they can do things that aren't expected of them, that are crazy and dangerous and wild, and that they really don't have to set limitations on themselves. And in the history of The Amazing Race in 30 seasons, there's only been three all-female teams to win. And some people think it's old news, like, oh, well, you know, women have already won the amazing race, so why are we still talking about this? But 
Yeah, right. It's not the best percentage. And Christy and I really took a lot of pride in being a strong female team on this race. And it just kind of reminded me like that. It resonates with me when I'm in that role and I am there and I connect with women who hold themselves back from doing things because it's not what women are supposed to do or it's too dangerous or too risky. It lights me up to help women kind of transcend that stuff. So it was fun to go on Amazing Race. And it was more than fun. It was important for me in recognizing that that purpose hasn't gone away. It has transitioned into a new light. Such a beautiful thing that you're saying right now. And I know from a coaching perspective, this is something I talk about with people all the time is we think our purpose is what we're doing. You know, it's so easy to believe your purpose is the job title that you have or that your purpose is to be a parent. I mean, I had one client who truly believed that her purpose was to be a parent and then she lost her child. And you can imagine what that does to somebody's psyche just with the loss in general. But if you only identify your purpose as being a parent and really what I hear you getting to is what I talk about a lot with people, which is your purpose is the emotion that you cultivate within yourself and then give to the world through your service. This idea of being an inspiration or lifting people up or being an example, a role model for women, you could take that purpose and apply that in any part of your life. It sounds like that's where you're at right now. It absolutely is. It's been a really hard journey to get there and I feel extremely grateful for The Amazing Race because what I miss most about my ski career is actually just the competition, mm-hmm. <laughs> the competition and the travel. Yeah. So Amazing Race took care of that. And I was struggling, you know, I, I'm working a nine to five, which is completely opposite lifestyle from what I was used to doing in my ski career. And there was this sense of permanence. Like if I, if I went down this road, I was never going to be able to get out of it. And you know, like I had to suppress all of the things that were me, my instincts to want to just go and travel the world and to say yes to everything and to just take on all these new experiences. I had to reel that in a little bit because of this job. And I was so panicked and down on myself. Cause it's just like, what are you doing? This isn't you, but I need to have income and there's a lot of things in the world that I need to learn about and it doesn't need to be where I stay forever. And Amazing Race was just this this gift to me to be like, hey Jen, you're still going to do some pretty cool things in your life and you're not done yet. Ski career was chapter one and you might not know what's in these other chapters, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a taste to let you know and to remind you the nine to five you're working right now doesn't need to be the end all be all. And you can still have purpose in your life and you can still do things outside of it that are meaningful. Mm. And that I probably would have gotten there eventually, but uh, The Amazing Race definitely was, was a catalyst to help me get there a little sooner and to realize and reconnect with the same purpose that I had in my ski career. And that hasn't gone away. Like you said, it's the emotion that you feel and the emotion that I felt in, you know, there's moments when I'll talk to Phil on the mat and I'm like, you know, we're doing it for the women of the world. Cause it is just such a cool time to be a woman right now. And it's extremely powerful. And I don't need to shy away from that. And I think I was scared outside of skiing to have that still be a strong mission. You touched on this and like transitioning into the nine to five job that you're working in right now. And people at various points in their life will find themselves starting over. It could be after a career transition or they lose a job where they had worked 
you know, for 15, 20 years. People have to rediscover themselves after divorce, which is what kicked off my entire personal growth journey that I've been on starting back in 2012. But one of the big traps that people fall into that I know was true for me, and I see this with clients, the story we tell ourselves is, I don't know what to do. Was that what you initially felt like you were saying? And how did you get past that in order to get to this next vision for your life? Yes. I absolutely told myself that at the end of my ski career, like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what's next, which was, there was some truth in that, but there was also a lie that I was telling myself. And it wasn't that I didn't know what I wanted. It was that I was too scared to admit what I wanted because I didn't feel that I yet had all the skills that I needed to make that a reality, I couldn't see a path in making that my reality. When I was still skiing and competing well, and I would talk to people about, you know, my my post-ski career choices of what I would do with my life, one thing that I would say is I want to be a dream coach. I want to help people bring their dreams into reality. But when I retired from skiing, and I didn't become the Olympian that I was in quotes supposed to become, I felt like you can't go and have that be your job. You didn't even make your own dreams come true. How are you supposed to go and coach other people on making their dreams come true? And it's really interesting because I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've gotten really close to achieving what I've set out to achieve and fallen just a little bit short. And I feel like for me, there's a huge lesson in that that I continue to learn over and over again in my life and probably will continue to learn over and over again. But the things that we achieve are not what define our value. And I remember distinctly when I won X Games in 2010 thinking, okay, nothing's changed. A lot more people want to like hang out with me and sponsor me and include me in their events and their parties and whatever. But I am exactly the same as I was just before that. And what did you expect to happen when you won the X Games? I'm always curious about this because this happens for people no matter what they're working toward. What was your expectation of how your life would change when you got that X Games gold medal? I thought I would feel accomplished. Winning the X Games in our sport is more of a pinnacle event than even the Olympics. Only eight women are invited to it every single year. So, I mean, it is the eight best in the world. And when you win it, you win it against the best people in the world. The Olympics is a little bit weird with, you know, they limit how many people from a country can come. So you could have five or six women in the U.S. that are in the top 10 in the world, but only four of them are allowed to go to the Olympics. So the field gets a little bit diluted. So the X Games, needless to say, was something I had put on a vision board in 2007 and I photoshopped my face onto a picture of someone with an X Games gold medal. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it came true. And I thought when that came true that I would forever feel proud of myself for that accomplishment. I'd be happy. I achieved this great thing. You know what happened? I achieved that great thing. And then I said, well, now I need to go do it again or everyone's gonna think it was a fluke and this one-time thing and it's gonna completely discredit everything. So now I just need to continue winning everything in order to maintain this value, this new value that I have. So in a nutshell, it didn't make me any happier, not in the long run. And I am proud of it now. You know, when people ask about my career, I start sharing, I, I wouldn't talk about it for a while after I retired because wow. I didn't I needed my value to be in something other than that 
But now I can talk about it again, and I feel proud because that was an amazing accomplishment, and I should feel proud about it. It was so quick. And I remember thinking, you know, I blew my knee out right before the Olympics in 2014, which brought that dream to a close. And the only event that I hadn't won at that point in my career was the Olympics. And I had to make a decision. I was 27 at that time, and I had to say, okay, like, are you going to go another four years to try to win this one event that you haven't won? And I replayed that X Games moment. And I was like, well, what's going to happen? You go and you win. Like, I was stuck on this idea that I had to go to the Olympics and do well at the Olympics in order to have the platform that I wanted to do the kind of work I wanted to be doing after my ski career, which is false. That is not how it needed to be. I replayed that X Games moment for myself. And I'm like, do you remember what you went through? You won X Games, this dream that you thought was going to change your life when you achieved it. And it didn't change my life. I got paid a little bit more money for a short period of time. And that was it. I had to say, okay, the Olympics is going to be that same way. You could have a horrible experience. You could go, you'd have the best experience ever, but it is not going to entirely change your life. What changed my life was having the goal of the Olympics be the target that led me through that entire 12 or 13 year journey. And all of the lessons that I learned along the way, all of the places that I got to travel, all of the friends that I made, that changed my life. Not just this one moment in time that I was completely fixated on. I love that. There's so much truth into everything that you just said, just in terms of the real quality of your life is in the quality. Well, I believe the quality in all of our lives is in the quality of our relationships and the connections and the friendships and the memories. One day when you're not here anymore, you don't get to take the X Games gold medal or an Olympic gold medal with you. But we always get hung up on the stuff that we think will be enough to make the difference. I'm curious for you, though, as you think now, and you've talked about this dream for your life moving forward in terms of being a dream coach and inspiring women and helping them get to the next level in their life. A big part of your past in skiing, and really, I think we're all designed to operate this way. The brain was never designed to make any of us happy. It's just designed to help us survive. But particularly in extreme skiing and, and doing the stunts that you're doing, that desire to control and manage the risk in every moment. I would think, you know, you're perpetually on, on a half pipe skiing, you know, you're one inch away from suffering a catastrophic injury. How does that desire to manage the risk, like, is it still hard for you to overcome that now as you think about building this legacy for yourself and, and stepping into becoming a coach to inspire women? Yes. People look at our sport and they think we're all just a bunch of loony bin nut jobs that, you know, have no fear. And it couldn't be further from the truth. I had fear throughout my career, granted, less fear when I was younger, but I had fear. I also had a method of building confidence and a routine that I would go through before I would try a new trick for the first time. And there's, you know, processes of visualization and focusing on all of the things that you've done to put you in a position to be able to do this trick really well for the first time, even if you've never done it before. And I think it's something that I need, need to work on in my life now is going through that same process and saying, okay, well, what skills am I missing that's holding me back from being able to go out and play this role in people's lives that I, that I want to fill? What's holding me back from doing that? And then acquiring that skill set 
and practicing it enough to feel confident in it and then taking the leap to dive in. You're not just going to be able to do it instantaneously. I didn't come out of the womb knowing how to do a 900 and a half pipe. Um, it was, <laughs> I've taken that. I'm like, wow, I was such a high achiever in this sport. I should be able to be such a high achiever in everything else that I do ever. And it's like, Jen, you haven't put the 10,000 hours into all of these other things. Yeah. That's why other people are good at them. That's why you were good at skiing. Yeah, there was a nugget of something that was born in me, but then I cultivated it through practice and focus and effort and hard work and determination and not giving up when it got hard. That's an important thing for anyone to remember in these times of transition. It doesn't happen overnight and it's going to be hard for a while and it's going to be uncomfortable but you can get there. And I think visualization in our daily lives, I use it a lot for sport, but I think that can have a huge impact in just in our daily lives. So you were talking about putting in the 10,000 hours to learn to master the tricks that you were doing as a competitive skier. Certainly in athletics or when you're in a high-risk sport, that's very important. But for me, I, I noticed this. When I transitioned out of being a corporate media executive and got into coaching, you talk about learning new skills. For me, what I've learned along the way is I'm the same coach that I was over two years ago when I started this business. It's not that I've Mm -hmm. learned to become a better coach, but I've just had to learn to become a better marketer and how to get my message to reach more people. I think for me, that was the skill that I needed. I'm sure for you, you know, you feel like on some level you need to take certain hours of a coaching program. I'm sure you could coach anybody right now to get them to peak performance. But it's just that idea that every next level you get to requires a new version of you. You just need new skills and you have to refine other things and expand your knowledge to complement what was already innate within you for you I think you've always been wired to inspire people right yeah I've always been wired to connect with people and I mean even into elementary school I remember befriending people who were sort of cast out of the group and on my soccer team at one point when I think I was maybe middle school aged, we had a girl from Spain join the team and she didn't speak any English and people didn't want to bring her in because it was difficult to communicate. And I took her in because I want people to feel connected Mm. to community, to their surroundings, to this world, to life. And that has always been the case for me. I think what you're hinting at is like, Some of those 10,000 hours that I talk about for skiing, I have acquired probably close to 10,000 hours in playing this role for people in my life, whether it is teammates or friends or honestly people that I meet on an airplane. I have cried on the shoulders of people I've met on an airplane. Like I have had incredibly meaningful conversations with strangers on an airplane because of that desire to connect. Some of that I've already kind of laid the foundation for. And I think it's just a matter of having that clear intention you spoke about in, you know, meditation and visualization to truly bring it all to fruition in the way that you imagine. Because you can kind of like think about it loosely. It can be there in the background. But until you pull that into the forefront of your conscious mind, it's not going to happen. It's also the difference between a gift and a skill. The skills are things that we practice over and over so we can perform them at a high rate of success. We can deliver near-perfect results. And skills are things that are acquired over time, but your gifts are the things that you're born with. And it just sounds like from an early age, you've had this desire to connect, to love on people, 
and to inspire them to be a better version of yourself. So that gift is already there. What It's just the matter of what is the skill set that I need to put myself out there and allow myself to be seen and let people know what I'm doing. Yeah. And so often, like when people are in career transition, they'll be like, oh, Dan, you don't understand. Like, I, I need something that really matches my skill set. But what's interesting is a lot of times we can have a skill set that isn't a gift. Our gifts yeah. are the things that make us happy. The skills are the things we've rehearsed. But it doesn't mean that your skills actually bring you joy when you're performing them. Right. I can learn skills of internet marketing because I've had to for my job. But those skills aren't bringing me closer to living the life of my dreams. But I have the skills now. Yeah. <laughs> I have skills to bag groceries really well, too, from when I worked at Whole Foods. It was like a game of Tetris. <laughs> uh, you bag up that <laughs> overpriced kale, girl. You get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I think that that's really – it's really true. And a lot of it, you know, those gifts that are inborn in us and feel so good to us when we are living them, sometimes people shy away from really diving into them. Either because we're told that whatever that is, isn't a reasonable career path. No one can make money doing X, Y, Z. We've all heard that before. Writers can never make money. And we start to believe those things over time. And so we shy away from that dream and that gift that is born in us because it's not leading us on the path of like a standard life that is expected. And that's when I say I want to be a dream coach, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Like, I want to help people reconnect to that dream that they've just said, no, like, I'm just going to ignore it. And these same people will say, I don't really know what I want to do. And it's like, you do, but you're scared to admit it because it's non-traditional or it means that you're going to have to give up something else in your life to make it happen. And I like to play the game. Like, if you could just erase or remove and just fast forward five years to the exact life that you want, no matter what, like no matter what you would have to go through to get there and you could just like blank canvas, start over, what would your life look like? And when you can create that vision, then you can start reverse engineering it yeah. and figuring out you can work toward it. But we have put so many barriers up for ourselves. I did it too. I did it to myself after skiing. And, and the story I'll keep playing over and over is, well, you were fortunate enough to live your passion and purpose and have it be your career and have it be all wrapped up and tied with the neat little bow. You were fortunate to do that once. You don't get to do it again. I tell myself that. Isn't it crazy? Because we, we get to a point where we believe our past was more compelling than the future ever can be. That's a big limitation for people. Yes. I was so lucky to live such an incredible life when I was young. Why would I deserve to do that again? How have you managed that? What's been the shift for you as you step into this new phase of your life? Or is it something you're still working through? I think that there's a part of it that I am still working through. What has helped me begin the process of working through it is actually a skier friend of mine, Lindsay Dyer. She shared about this concept because she's like, you know, who am I to live this life of being a professional skier and get to travel the world and ski in the most incredible places? But then she said, who am I not to? Uh, yeah. Why would I be here if I didn't have ambition and drive and goals and, and a vision? Why would I be here? And life is just, it is far too short to live small. We think that the things we want are so out of reach, but... 
what I've come to understand uh, along my lifetime and my journey is that the things you want desire you also. Like, there's a reason you and I are sitting here not having a conversation about you becoming the next great astrophysicist of the world. Like, you yes, don't give a don't shit about, astro- about astrophysics. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. you have the intention and the desire to achieve something great in your life because you've also been blessed with all the gifts, all the resources, all the capability to bring it to life. But the hero's journey is so much about stepping out into the unknown, leaving your comfort zone and facing the metaphorical dragon. You know, I mean, this is the the story that's been told, whether it's Harry Potter, Star Wars, it's like the hero steps out into uncertainty and faces death in order to win the prize. And I I love the fact you brought that up. I could talk about this stuff for hours. I'm a geek about this stuff. And you brought death up, which I think is something that is hugely important it's like we are so fearful of death that we are fearful of failure because it represents death in our daily lives we are afraid of transitions for the same reason it feels like something has to end something has to die the gen the skier had to die in order for this new version of me to be born and i am in the birthing process right now it's terrifying and i'll tell you losing my father was the hardest experience of my life but also one of the most profound experiences to truly witness. I was there the moment he died. I was holding his hand when he took his his last breath. And it became so clear that we are more than the bodies that we are in. And if that is true, then there is nothing to fear in failing in life right now because wherever we go later and I I don't know and I don't have the answers and I can't even explain it but watching my father die I knew that he was returning to something greater and that I would join him again and I feel closer to my father in his death than I could have possibly ever when he was alive because it's I am with him all the time there is never a moment that I am apart from him. And somehow when when he was in his physical body, in his physical form, we would be apart. He would be in Connecticut and he would be working and I would be skiing and I'd be doing a thing. And when we were both in Utah or both in Connecticut, we would be together. But there was a separation because of this physical body. I don't feel that anymore. I can feel my connectedness to him. And everything in life is going to end. And this life experience as Jen Hudak in this body will end. So why not try all of these things? Because it's all going to end. If you never try, it's not going to even happen. So take it all on. Try it all. If it sucks, do something else. If you hate it, stop doing it. But you never know until you try. I swear by this. The biggest fear that we should all be afraid of is to be in that position one day, surrounded by our loved ones, taking our last breath, but also having lived an unexpressed life. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you've d- never lived. You've never lived. That is true. I mean, you said, you know, we get so caught up in the fear of death that we don't take action. But the other way to say that is we get so caught up in the fear of death that we never truly live. And that is amazing. Incredible. You talk so much about carrying this Olympic dream for so long. And I think that this is a nice way for us to wrap this up in a beautiful way. You talked about carrying this dream for 13 years of getting to the Olympics and it being your driving force and everything that you did. So you suffered this career ending injury and the universe had other plans for you. 
but what I found along my journey is sometimes the unanswered prayers can actually turn out to be life's biggest blessings. When you think sure. back on that and not getting to the Olympics, what was able to be created in your life right now that would not have been if you were training for the Olympics and getting ready to compete this year? There are quite a few things. Had I not blown my knee out and not had the devastation of having that dream not come true, I never would have met my husband. I also probably wouldn't have been compelled to apply for Survivor, which I applied for Survivor a couple months after I had my knee surgery after not going to the Olympics. I was basically laying in my bed watching people in the Olympics and was like, I need something challenging. Let's apply for Survivor. <laughs> and Amazing Race wouldn't have found me because they actually found my archival Survivor application video and reached out to see if I wanted to go on Amazing Race. Wow. Because I made it in the casting, but I didn't end up going to finals casting. And had I gone to finals casting for, for Survivor, I also wouldn't have met my husband because it was during that the time in which I met my husband. If I hadn't wound my career down, if I had stayed on the goal of going to the 2018 Olympics, which we're coming up to now, the 2014-15 winter, I would have had a full competition schedule. I would have been training. Skiing would have still been my number one priority instead of family and friends. And I wouldn't have gone back to Connecticut to be with my dad and my mom in the amount that I was at the end of my dad's life. I wouldn't have been able to be there in the same way. That is something I can never get back. Maybe I would have met my husband in some other way, but like I can't, I, I would never have been able to be with my father in that same way again. Mm. Being with your father when he dies, no one would ever call that a gift. But compared to not being there because you were too focused on something else, on a goal that truly was no longer serving me, the goal of the Olympics was no longer making me step up to be the best version of myself. Mm. And that is when you need to transition away. That's when you need to retire a goal. Wow. I love that. I'm going to turn that into a quote card when we promote this episode. <laughs> Thinking ahead right now with everything you've learned along the way, and, you know, obviously, I don't know how the amazing race will play out. You do. We'll watch that unfold. But when you think about your life here over the course of 2018, what is the next step for you? How do you create your own life amplified? What's next up for you? The next step for me is doing what I did in my ski career so much, which is when I felt fear, I leaned into it. I said, why am I scared of this? Let's go figure out why I'm scared and do whatever I need to do to not be scared. And I've talked with you about this, Dan. You know, I am scared to put myself out there in the role of being a coach. I've always done this voluntarily for friends and teammates, and I love playing that role in people's lives. But to put myself out there and to say, hey, come to me. I'm here for you. It's scary for me. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, well, what are the barriers there? What's standing in my way? And then lean into that fear to get to know the fear because it can serve us and it can help us grow. It always has for me. And I, I think it will continue to do that. So in 2018, it's when I feel uncomfortable about something, lean into it. I love it. Jen, what an inspirational interview and what a gift that you just sort of randomly danced into my Instagram feed one day <laughs> and that we've connected. So much respect and admiration. You're just so eloquent and you're so passionate and you have such a huge heart and a desire to serve. And I want to take a minute just to honor that at the end of the interview. I'm so excited to 
watch what unfolds for you in the aftermath of the show. And like, and really, when you think about it, an entirely new platform for you to reach people who might not have known you before if they didn't follow competitive skiing, but a chance for you to even serve in a doubly huge way to an entirely new audience. Like, what what an yeah. amazing blessing in your life and what a gift. And it, for me, I'm just excited to see how it all unfolds. Thank you so much, Dan. It, it's been a pleasure to to come on and chat with you today and thank you for all the work that you do because you're you've made a difference in my life and you're making a difference in in so many others lives hey if people want to find you online what is the best way for them to do that instagram and my website are probably the best ways uh so jenhudak.com and then instagram is just at jenhudak j-e-n-h-u-e-a-k well my friend i'm looking forward to coming and seeing you in park city in a couple weeks i gotta be out there for business training but we'll sit down and we'll have some breakfast and it'll be great to meet in person the amazing race is wednesday nights at 8 p.m yes it's 8 p.m eastern and pacific and 7 p.m central and mountain awesome well i'm looking forward to watching the rest of the competition unfold and looking forward to everything happening for you all the best to you my friend thank you dan same to you i think what sticks with me from that interview the most is this idea of death and then rebirth her talking so beautifully about jen the skier had to die in order for jen the coach and the mentor to come forward and that is the same in your life right now what is it that needs to die in order for the greatest version of you to step forward. Maybe it's a soul-sucking career. Maybe it's a toxic relationship. Maybe it's a belief system or addiction, but there is something that you have got to let go of. A death needs to happen in order for the rebirth to take place. And I thought she illustrated that so beautifully. I love that girl to death. I think she is such an amazing human being. I am so blessed to know her. And I really hope that you enjoyed the interview as well. If you did, please let Jen know that you're listening. You can screenshot our podcast here, upload it to Instagram, tag me at CSC Dan Mason, and tag her at Jen Hudak, H U D A K. Don't forget, you can also find her on the web, jenhudak.com. And if you're looking for a mentor or coach to help you push forward with your dreams in 2018, I have a couple spots left for my VIP coaching program. You can look me up and find more info on that at creativesoulcoaching.net. Thank you so much for listening, my friends. If you're loving the podcast, click follow here on the iHeartRadio app or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this with a friend. And until next time, don't forget, it's time to turn down. Down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can get out there and live life amplified. I'll talk to you next time.